0: Six Panthers are back on the streets of Hamburg as the rain falls heavily onto northern Germany. Martin Kind can't find kind words about the DFL, and the Bundesliga 2 is more popular than the Bundesliga. All of that and an awful lot is to come on this edition of Talking Football Ausstieg. My name is Nick Wiltung, and I'm joined by my trusted panel of experts. And finally back with us is none other than Jasmine Barber. Han. How are you doing there? Oh, Han. Jasmine Hahn, Jasmine, Jasmine yeah. Hahn, formerly known as Jasmine Barber. Yeah. How's married life treating you?
1: Yeah, good. If not, terrifically busy. I've not been around because of illness and moving. But so for anyone who doesn't know. Instead of being in blame, I'll be splitting my time between London and Dresden instead.
0: Very usual combo.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, moving up tomorrow. So, yeah, we've been packing stuff for what seems like an eternity. So if I don't know something, don't blame me. Google it.
0: Google it. Well, you don't need to Google our next expert. You know him already. It's uh, Mike own. Mike, are you starting to pack your bags, looking forward to, you know, visiting new grounds with St. Pauli that you haven't been to because you might get promoted this season?
2: Mm, yes, but there is just one ground left in the Bundesliga that I haven't been to. And this oh. is Augsburg. So I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Actually, this is so funny because Augsburg is actually a spot that I do have. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, you pretty much have got almost all three divisions covered, I feel, in Germany. Mm, not the third one. Well, you know, you've you've <laughs> got some. I mean, which, which how many teams are you missing in the third tier? I have to look it up, but I would say about five or six. Well, I mean, that is three quarters of the league. <laughs> pretty decent rate. And anyways, you know, I'm zero for the third. And, you know, I'm basically halfway through the Bundesliga and maybe a third through the Bundesliga too. So, um. Yeah, you got me beat. You got me beat pretty good. Yeah, but
2: but I I might have some regional advantages, so you're excused, of course.
0: Well, yes. I mean, you know, I don't begrudge you the fact that you haven't been to Budo, for instance. I've seen them loads of times uh, at Asmir. I haven't been to Norway at all. You have never been to Norway? Mm. Uh, At least not for football. Only once for skiing. Skiing, of all things... Well, there you go. Maybe we should take a football trip to Norway then. Anyways, as we plan that, there will be a musical interlude in this podcast. And in part one, we'll be back with all the latest from the Windsor 2. Right, here we go. And well, we talked about it last time. Yeah, I have to talk about it this time, but there's still a lot of fan protest at Bundesliga 2 matches. Now, Mike, fill us in. What's been going on of late? Yeah, well,
2: you know the big story. There's an investor that will try to step in in the DFL, buy some whatever rights he gets for that for at least 20 years. And they would like to get a billion for that. I'm not sure if they can achieve that amount. And there were two investors interested. One of them was Blackstone. The other one is CVC. Blackstone stepped out. Both of them are funded more or less by Saudi Arabia. And this is the main reason why there are so many protests. So that's the big picture. And in the last couple of weeks, you might have wondered if the investor will only step in if we keep these funny protests, because they are so entertaining in the last couple of weeks. (laughs) Uh, And maybe that's the, the new unique selling point of Germany that we do have these funny interruptions of football games. So on this weekend there were some automatic vehicles so the for the, the, the children playing stuff thing they first came up on Friday in Cologne in the Vera game mm-hmm. and everyone said oh that's new one day later in Rostock they had the same but with pyrotechnic on it so this was the next level there's the rostock version and and i said well the next level can only be some i don't know some drones or something like that and on sunday in freiburg we had some automatic planes going through the sky and some drones maybe also so yeah it's really funny and i don't know uh, what happens next so and and i think this is the most important thing that over the last couple of weeks, the DFL was not able to prepare itself for the protests and to deal with it somehow, because every single game there was something new. And I think one of the, the things that was really reliable in the, in the last 50 years in German football was if a game is kicked off at 3.30 on Saturday, you are done with it around 5.20 And that's not the case anymore. So the DFL really lost some reliability. And they are in the position at the moment that they will sell the new media rights for starting, I think, 2025. So next year, summer, in the next couple of months. And if the TV stations can't rely on the kickoff and final whistle times anymore, well, that might also be a challenge. And therefore, um, I think they need to move somehow and uh, they do struggle with that. So uh, at the moment, there are discussions going on that the poll will be, I don't know, done one more time or in a different way. And the main thing is still that the first vote was secret and that Martin Kind, that did not follow the advice from his club so against or it was not an advice it was an order and as he did not follow that for Hannover's 96 that might also be a breach of the 50 plus one rule and so the DFL is in a really really difficult position at the moment and yeah I'm sure if we talk again in two weeks time there will be more to tell you about that.
0: Well, I mean, it's actually kind of funny that the same Martin Kind that we're talking about is actually on German television right about now as we record, saying this is a farce. Which uh, you know, yeah, some people can't help themselves, can they? Um. Anyways, one protest you forgot to mention, I and mean, this because it happened a while back, it was the one that they had in the match between Hamburg and Hanover '96. I, th- I thought that <laughs> one was really funny.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is the best banner I've ever seen from a protest. Dieses Spiel unterbrechen wird präsentiert von Kind, and it says Störgerät. So it says this, breaking the game, is presented to you by Kind, which is, and it was his logo, Kind logo. And instead of Sturgeret, which is Hürgeret, which is hearing aids, they changed it to basically mean a technical thing that interrupts something. So like, like jamming instruments. I think that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. There were so many good banners from that protest. That one was hilarious.
0: wasn't that also sort of the bicycle chain? Yeah, Code lock. This this was
2: the week before, correct? So the one Jasmine was referring to it happened on this weekend in Hannover home game. But the thing that really stirred up the media last week was uh, being Martin Kind in a target symbol yep. on a banner. And the game was interrupted because of that. And the, the thing that Nick was referring to was these bicycle locks that were, yeah, put around uh, one of the goal posts. <laughs> and in the away end, so the, the bicycle locks were around the uh, goals at the HSV end. And in the Hanover end, they held up a banner that the investors and Martin Kind are the problems and 50 plus 1 is the solution <laughs> and 5001 would have been the solution for these bicycle locks
1: oh my but god but instead
2: of that yeah this is this is really funny and i don't expect anyone who needs to solve this situation and remove these bicycle locks <laughs> to take a look in the stadium and see if there could be somewhere a riddle that might solve this <laughs> but yeah this was the case and instead of that they just flexed the bicycle locks with a automatic uh, saw and this was also fun so some good pictures with that but yeah afterwards of course uh, both and uh, solved that riddle and this was of course uh, a big laugh two days after the game
1: funnily enough it's also worth noting that the usual protests also took place in that Hanover Hatters hat fell game, and which included throwing tennis balls on the pitch. And what had happened in that game, because I knew someone who was at the game, and they threw it once. And uh, something about the protests that I'm really enjoying is how chaotic they're getting. So they've now learned to throw the tennis balls once get the game delayed, everyone comes out, starts to warm up, they throw it again. And uh, particularly at Hanover, they said, well, if you do it a third time, then that's it, game's cancelled. And then they didn't do it. And it was they said before that they were going to get the game cancelled and then they didn't do, go through with that. So was, it was funny to just watch on the edge of our seats because nothing happened until I think the second half because I was waiting for it, just to, purely for that.
2: And I think this is a really important thing in the whole discussion because many people, especially Martin Kind, always say that football supporters are chaotic, they are stupid, they don't know what they are talking about and so on. But all these protests really prove that football fans are really smart and they do know exactly what they are doing. And they just show the DFL at the moment that without the fans, they can't do anything. And the fans are able to really, really stop them from proceeding. I mean, Alexander Zorniger wouldn't agree. Yeah, uh, but I, I saw that interview and I think he, he was kind
0: of misinterpreted by some media. So... I mean, what he says basically, oh, there's always that sacred curve, you, you know, you have the fans of the heart and soul of, of football. But to be honest, the thing you cannot do when you want to play a match of football is you cannot play without the footballers. So, I mean, his quote basically said that this is getting to me and I find it rather annoying would be my interpretation of his quote. And of course, so first of all, he was pissed.
2: I I totally understand that. So the interview was done directly after the final whistle and he lost the game. And what need to be said is that Ferd was 1-0 up before the interruption. And after that, they lost the game. So he was probably also pissed on that. And of course, it's not very smart to say what he said, but he said also the fans are not the heart of the game because without the footballers you can't do the game and they are the heart of the game but the fans might be the soul of the game and well I think you can't have a human being or a breathing whatever without a heart and without a soul so therefore you need both and this is maybe not exactly what he said But I think he was just pissed because he lost the game, and I do understand that. And the media really made fun of him, but that might be a little bit unfair.
0: True. Anyways, Martin Kind, let's get back to him. Uh, The man currently sitting on German television complaining about that the DFL is not doing enough against these rowdy fans. I mean, he already told Kicker that it seems like we're living in an unruly state. And that is wrong. Somebody should set their foot down and show these people what needs to be done. I mean, the German word he used is basically rechtsfreier Raum, which means we are living in a sort of a time and space without any laws and rules.
1: Libertarianism.
0: <laughs> no, anarchism, basically.
1: Oh. Um, oh yeah. yeah.
0: But anyways, I mean, that, that that is his take on the thing. and but he sort of verbalizes something that has been said at the DFL and in, you know, some of the higher echelons of German football for some time now, for at least last couple of weeks, and this is that, you know, we shouldn't accept any sort of interruptions. We should just cancel the games and blame the fans and make it about unruly, rowdy football fans and portraying them as the problem. And for Martin Kind, that seems to be the solution.
1: I mean... It has happened. Like, when Bochum fans threw beer at the referee, I mean, that got cancelled. I mean, it was easy to sort because, and that time, Gladbach were 2-3 now up, so it it was easy to outline it, and it's 17 minutes had gone. But then you've got the problem that if everyone's protesting, you can't really decide who started what, who threw what, how you cancel it for who. And it's just easier to do anything else um, rather than go down that route. Even this is, I mean, this is painful, but it's not as much as an issue.
2: Yeah, I I think there was already a statement by the DFL that if a game would have been cancelled because of protests by both sides, then both teams would get zero points. So that's possible.
0: Oh, oh,
1: oh, oh, oh. oh that's cold. I kind of enjoy that. That's No one wins. <laughs> that's very cold.
2: I do I do have many games in mind where I would really love to see that. So, for example, then yes. Rostock plays HSV. HSV, Rostock,
0: HSV, Hanover 96. The list is long for Mike.
1: Rostock anyone.
0: Well, I mean, if Rostock plays anyone else, Mike wants the other team to get three points, surely. Yep. <laughs> Correct. Anyways, leaving those fan protests aside, we've been talking about them some time now, but I'm sure we'll talk about them two weeks from now. Let's just um, talk a little bit more about the day-to-day business of what's going on. And there are actually a couple of new coaches in town. So I mentioned at the top of the show, six Sixpances are back in style in Hamburg. And why is that, Jasmine?
1: Because Stefan baumgart has been hired. Has it been announced yet? Yeah, I didn't...
0: No. Oh, but I mean, all Ooh. over the press, though. I mean, yeah. sure but not by the HSV
1: yeah it's not been announced I
0: think we can
2: agree on it will be announced when you hear this episode
1: yeah they'll probably announce it as soon as we press end on this podcast or something but yeah it's Stefan Baumgart which I don't know I don't know if it makes much sense it's a wild one Tim Valter we've been saying for (laughs) for months that oh surely this is Tim Valter's last game we said it at the end of I think Karlsruhe what was the other match two weeks before then. They just haven't seemed to be very consistent. And I think the...
0: I said it before the winter break. Yeah,
1: I think the whole Hanover match going... Was it 2 nil down after 21 minutes?
0: Yes, and then was 2-1, 3-1 one, one, and 3-3. Three mm, three. Yeah. <laughs> then they lost it.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think it just summed up everything from that season. And it's not enough points to keep even a promotion playoff run going. So they finally said, yeah, yeah, you're on your own.
0: I mean, Stefan Baumgart is sort of my nemesis. When he was hired as Cologne coach, I sort of made the prediction that he's gone within a year. And if he's not, I'll run a marathon. I said on the other show, I'm talking foosball. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I ended up running Mother marathon because of bloody Baumgard. So he has proven me wrong in the past, but what sort of strikes me as odd here is, well, sure, there's a connection between HSV and Baumgard. Baumgard is apparently an HSV fan. Is he? Yeah, sure. Oh, he wow. is. His first
2: game... He watched in the stadium, I think, was a loss of HSV against Juventus Turin in the Champions League around 91 or something like that.
0: And apparently you wouldn't fall in love with Alessandro Piero, you would fall in love with HSV. but you know having said that
1: he's from Rostock hold on he know, is from Rostock I don't yes. know anything about Stefan Vanguard
0: he is he's from Rostock and he you know he met his wife on a training camp with Hansa Rostock back in the day um, and uh,
1: I knew that story but I just didn't know anything else he
0: loves six Sixpanzas he's from Rostock played for Rostock played for Energy Cottbus.
1: all the rough teams
0: he did he did oh, which um,
1: which great man hasn't played for Energy Cottbus? Is the question. That's a Marcus Anfang joke in there. I
0: mean, Leonardo Bittencourt has played there as well. Dan has.
1: Yeah, all of them. All, all one of the great artists. ones have
0: played there. Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah. but um, be that as that may, uh, this was actually the question I was sort of brewing up here. Yeah. What, what sort of strikes me about Baumgart and Valter is that they are very much different coaches and very much prefer a different style of football.
1: Yeah, so Tim Valter, as I've always said, possessional based he likes to build up. You can see he gets stuck in around the final third of play. That's normally where they've been stuck overrun in midfield. And deaf and guards very much, very vertical, up the pitch, down the pitch, intensive pressing, counter attacks, lack of possession, through th- wide off the wing. And yeah, they've got the wingers for that. They've got uh, Jean Luc Dompey and Imbakari which suits that kind of style. But everything else, the kind of... And this is very not Haasvawi. This is not very Hamburg. They go with very possessional base coach who's got a very big brand image to them and their way of football. Now, Chef Baumgart does have a bit of that brand to him, but not the football that they pick and not that really relates to the team. He does have, like, the emotional coaching benefit, which I think might be good for Hamburg for the moment, but that's normally short-lived. So I I, I just find it's a weird one, basically. I just, I, it's very unlike them. Maybe that's what they need, but we'll see. I, d- I don't know how to really feel about it. I didn't think he would go for a second league team. I mean, can be big because it's Hamburg, but still, still weird.
0: But, I mean, do any of the other players in the squad sort of line up with his philosophy? I mean, look at the back line, for instance. Are his back line players sort of suited for that style of play? And his style of play sort of relies on central defenders to be able to pass the ball really, really well. Are there enough players who vertically pass the ball well in that back line?
1: Uh, it's not only about that. It's about how good they are under pressure. Because mm. if, if they play, like, just one line passes they just have to be strong in second balls and retrieving them if they go the long ball way if they vertically they have to be fast enough this is the thing with transitioning from a possessional style base to something like Stefan Baumgar or one of the RB guys kind of coaching wise is that you need to have the strength the stamina and the speed to keep up with that and what players find it's a lot harder switching from that kind of possessional base to a a kind of fast press, fast trigger football than the other way around. So it can be quite tiring to adapt to. And I don't know, yeah, some of those players do fit, some of those players don't. I don't know how long it will get them into that groove. So it's kind of, especially where Hamburg have been for quite a while, this possessional base of football, it's a Weird step, and it might have short- term benefits, but long term, I don't see it.
0: I mean one thing that sort of works for Baumgart and hsV in their favor right now is the fact that Keel are taking on a powder next weekend. That should certainly sort of inject be another vitamin injection into that squad, surely. I mean, get it resolved. yeah, I think against elderberg. <laughs> And you suddenly just... um,
1: You're back in again.
0: You're back in it. You're point behind. Or Kiel wins and you're just you know four points behind.
1: (laughs) I mean, but that's the benefit of probably having someone like Stefan Baumgart because you're not going to get away from his emphasis on that. So again, short term, that won't work. And it is probably luck of the draw that they have that fixture lined up now
0: well certainly a big advantage for them but from reading your writers you are sort of as surprised as i am and you're questioning whether or not this is going to work out
1: i'm not surprised but i think because we all heard it brewing for a couple of weeks now but i'm just finding i think it's just a bit weird rather than surprising i'm a bit questionable but like i think there are worse decisions that have been made this week in the coaching floor
0: Ooh, thank you for that segue. I, I was going to ask Mike what the Zampaudi side of the city thinks about that opponent, but I'm going to skip past that and skip right past uh, to something that is also looking like it's short-lived.
2: I, I just need to add one thing, and I would like to greet Noah Katabach. Wait!
0: Hey. Because
2: <laughs> he left Cologne to get rid of Baumgart. I'm not sure if this is totally correct, but at least it sounds good as a story. And now... He said HSV and Baumgart also. So that might be a lovely story. Although, of course, Katabach said in the media a few days ago or in the beginning of February. No, no, no. There is no bad relationship with Stefan Baumgart. Already knowing that he might arrive, but he also said, "I am really happy that Tim Balter has my coach at the moment." So, oh, yeah.
0: no. good story. Is sort of rumor, like with there, But what's the St. Pauli side sort of the city thinking about uh, this appointment? I think we are all
2: really looking forward to the relegation battle between Stefan Baumgart and Timo Schulz at the end of the
0: season. Yep. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> that has to be it.
0: <laughs> Bo Henricks might ruin that though. But anyways, I'm talking about something that is short-lived. The coaching change. Frieden Funkel is back.
1: Oh my God, no. I love how my first words at that name was God and no. Yeah, apparently Demetrius has got sacked after eight games. Yes! He was the wild okay I think I've said it on this podcast before but you're supposed to give a coach eight games for them to adapt their style it takes eight games for the old coach's style to go and the new ones to kick in they kicked him out before that that period had ended and he wasn't I know he wasn't like the best but he wasn't the worst they won against Schalke God's sake. And they got through to the, what, semi-final of the DFB Pacal? Mm. And so I find it really odd to then replace him with Friedheim Funkel, who's hopefully not committed any racist things to say about his, anyone's players, because we know how that worked out at Cone.
0: I mean, he's 70. He wasn't 70 in the 70s, Jasmine, <laughs> but he's 70, which means he's, well, let's face it, um, past his prime as a coach. I mean, but the thing is, you know, I mean, Kicker wrote that. Because Freedom Time was announced on, was it a Tuesday or Wednesday? Kaiserslatan uh, had lost on the weekend, and, you know, everybody knew on the weekend that Grand Monsters was going to, you know, be kicked out the door. But Kicker wrote then that on the day before Funkel was fired, that the reason why Grand Monsters is still, you know, in charge of training sessions at the moment is... The fact that Thomas Hängen has learned from his firing of Dirk Schuster, because back then he just fired the coach without having an option at hand. Then several of his, you know, candidates on his wish list declined to take him up on his offer, and he had to move really far down the list and ended up with Dimitrios Gio's
1: Wow!
0: This time around, Hengen wanted, you know, to avoid that mistake. So... He let remorseless lead the training sessions on Monday and on Tuesday, you know, just, you know, just make putting in some course and, you know, asking around, you know, could you imagine, you know, catching our team? Finally, somebody picked up and there was a pensioner probably sitting somewhere in Spain saying that, well, yeah, sure, Kaiserslautern. I've played for them in the 70s. Why not? So Funkel took him up on his offer, and then he said, "Well, you know, Dreamers, can you can you get to my office?" Finally, somebody answered one of my calls, and they said yes. So you're out of here. So the mistake Thomas Heng wanted to avoid this time around was not having a coach, you know, committed to the club before sacking the coach that he had at the club, which was basically what he did with Dirk Schuster.
1: Oh my god! And the thing is, but. I, I don't understand why Grimotts has even went. Like He got the win against Schalke, three to semi-finals, do three And if you've seen that fixture list, he had to face Pauli away, Alversberg away, and Paderborn, who are all quite high up the table. So they're not that far off relegation. Seems stupid. That's one of those stupid decisions, and I hope they go back down. Ugh. Although Osnabrück looks like completely down. So it's between Rostock and Slough. And hopefully they just lose in the playoff. Go away. I can't be dealing with that stupidness. I really can't.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things. It's sort of Kaiserslautern it's an insane club. Thomas Hengen used to be a player there back in the 90s when they were playing in the Bundesliga. And yeah, it's an insane club. Anyways, one last story from the Bundesliga 2. And uh, I know we've been talking about the Bundesliga 2 for quite some time, but well... Mike, I think you might have been part of a record that was set this weekend. Can you tell us what that was?
2: Ah, I think of a funny answer, but I don't have it. So the truth <laughs> is, uh, the second Bundesliga this weekend had for the first time ever more visitors than the Bundesliga on a match day with all nine games in both leagues. So... In the end, it was 284,000 in the second Bundesliga and only 261 in the first league. And you need to keep in mind that we had, among these games in the second league, we had Paderborn and Elversburg with 12,000 and 8,000 only. But there were games with like Schalke and Hertha with 60 or 52,000. And in the end, yeah, it was more than in the first league. This is a trend that have been established some years ago, and now it finally got its peak.
0: Well, I mean, the thing that has to be mentioned about the Bundesliga, though, is is the fact that both Bayern and Dortmund were on the road against sides that really don't really boast a massive attendance. I mean, Dortmund played away to Wolfsburg, which basically is a ground that is visited by two pensioners and their dogs. And Bayern played against uh, VfL Bochum, Bochum, great, great club, great city, great history. The ground, though, uh, only, uh, is it 26,000 people that fit in at the Straße
2: Yeah, it was 26 against Bayern, and the kicker states that only four games were sold out, and they don't list Bochum among that, and I really doubt that in a game against Bayern, but, well, I need to double-check that. Maybe there were some security issues why they were... No, 26 is the correct number, so it was sold out, and of course it is.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, that sort of uh, explains a little bit why that record happened on this matchup. But anyways, I think it's a great trend. But I mean, it sort of signifies that... I mean, talking about Kaiserslautern, and talking about HSV, I mean, the last couple of teams that we talked about, those are two teams with a massive history, both in Europe and in Germany, right? And you get more and more of these teams currently competing in the Bundesliga too. And I think that is why we see that trend, right? And to be
2: fair, HSV and Kaiserslautern also played away on the weekend. So True.
0: <laughs> True that. I mean, if you have Hanover, Berlin, HSV and Kaiserslautern all playing at home, you actually do get a sort of decent amount of people getting through the gate at those grounds. Mm -hmm. It's a funny thing, and I think we will see a lot more of that going forward. But anyways, this is it for the first part of our show. We'll be right back with a quick part two of Talking Foosball, the abstract edition. Well, here we go. It's part two of Talking Foosball. And well, let's just do quick five stories from the Dritte Liga before we get into a couple of more stories from uh, elsewhere in the lower leagues. And well, Jasmine, I'm going to start with you. Marco Antwerpen, your special friend. He's back. The bold one. <laughs> the bold one, One yes. of the bold ones. He's not bold in terms of the tactical choices he makes, he's just bold in terms of the hair he's. Uh, it helps yeah. us
1: remember them. Marco Antwerpen is a Dritte Liga coach that has been coach of. A couple of clubs most notably oh no what was the team that he only had oh verse kickers where he only lasted five matches and then we had a kaiser slot which he did really well got them into promotion slots and then absolutely fumbled it lost like three in a row to the point where he got sacked because they were now lying from safely in promotion to the playoff and lost the last three so he didn't look like he was even going to win the playoffs so they sacked him for Dirk Schuster then that team went up by beating Dresden in the playoff that's who Marco Antwerpen is I have no idea what he stands for but he's back at Waldhof Mannheim so yeah, got some fun coaching changes for everyone.
0: Well lost the first match against Saarbrücken on the weekend 2-0 2-0! Wait,
1: was it at Saarbrücken or was it away?
0: Uh, think it was uh, at home, actually.
1: Saarbrucken playing a game at home in... The
0: in, e- in Mannheim.
1: Oh, okay, in Mannheim. I was about to say, and can't get a game played at home.
0: Right. Quick quiz, Mannheim. Two of the greatest coaches that German football has ever produced come from Mannheim. Who am I thinking about?
1: <laughs> Dirk Schuster.
0: Definitely <laughs> not. Mike, you're a
2: German. You surely must know one of them. I'm not sure if he was born... In Mannheim, but he coached Mannheim for quite a while, which was Klaus Schnappler.
0: Well, I'm thinking a lot bigger than that.
2: Ah, okay. Then, I don't know. Helmut Schön.
0: His predecessor, Sepp Herberger. Sepp Herberger. Sepp okay. Herberger, institution in Mannheim football, was actually once banned due to the fact that he changed teams within Mannheim and he got a built-in kitchen as payment to swap teams and back then German football was amateur. So payment of any kind wasn't allowed, even a built-in kitchen. And the other guy, uh, Bremen legend. I mean, come on, Mike, you, you have to get our one. Uh, it won't be Thomas Schaff. It will probably it is be Thomas Otto Weha. Oh, it is, okay. Thomas it <laughs> is Thomas Scharf. It is Thomas Schaaf. Because the funny thing about Thomas Schaff, I've been told, is the fact that he, he talks like a true northern German. <laughs> uh, but he can switch to a Mannheim accent like that. Impressive. If he wants to. Because he's born there. So, I mean, that that is um, a fun fact about Thomas Schaff that nobody really wanted to, or needed to know. Correct. <laughs> this is Mannheim. This is Michael Antwerp. Now, uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about uh, Sandhausen. Yeah,
2: this was a really freak game. So, you need to know Sandhausen last year, Zweite Bundesliga, this year struggling a little bit to get promoted again the next team they played on the weekend Jan Regensburg last year uh Zweite Bundesliga and doing quite well and uh top of the league at the moment on on Saturday after 11 minutes in Sandhausen Jan Regensburg was up 3-0 being top of the league 11 minutes played being up 3-0 that's quite impressive solid and you would yeah solid as well and you would say okay that's it game over we move to minute 15 and now it's 2-3 only and we fast forward to the end Sandhausen won the game 6-3 so this was a really really weird game and if you can just go to kicker.de you can watch the highlights it's really fun
0: Right, uh, last story from the Dritte Liga, and that is actually MSV Duisburg. They're back. They're back.
2: Yeah, I need to apologize because I think in the last episode I said, okay, uh, the gap is too big. They don't have a chance. And I really do like Daniel Ginchek, but I don't see any way that they can come back to, yeah, to manage uh, somehow to stay in the Dritte Liga. But they proved me wrong. Out of the last four games, they achieved at least seven points and they are back in the race. And I think it's just two points. And therefore, uh, I trust in Daniel Ginshake, they will make it.
0: (laughs) I hope they don't prove me wrong in the next two games. They're just a point behind Mannheim, who are currently coached by Marco Antwerp. Mike, you're living in, in northern Germany. How's the weather been of late? Tell us about that. It's raining a lot here, yeah.
2: (laughs) It's really raining for weeks now. And you might have heard the funny story that St. Pauli switched training rounds from lovely Hamburg to sunny Mallorca for a week. (laughs) So this was funny or also caused some discussions, of course because of the environment and so on. But there are also heavy impacts on the leagues around here. So, Regionalliga Nord, Phoenix Lübeck, the last five games were canceled due to rain or the pitch not being able to play on it. So all the other teams or many of them do have 21 games at the moment and Phoenix Lübeck only 16. And as they would really like to go to the Dritte Liga, they are yeah they they are really struggling with that because they
0: might have a very very heavy match schedule now to fulfill in the upcoming weeks. I mean that sort of advantage is that it's not as tightly packed at least not in the Bundesliga because there are not as many uh, you know cup uh, competitions international competitions. But yes, I mean they're 12 points behind 10 over 96 with five games less played than them so in fact they are three points ahead of them kind of yes um, <laughs> but then i mean i mean it's sort of like hanover's second team and Kiel's second team are you know ahead of them in the table i don't think either of those sides is going to apply for the tritte liga license i i heard hanover will but i'm not sure okay so i mean then it sort of is really critical for them to get those 15 points or at least you know 13 points they actually, funnily enough, have a better goal difference than them. You know, Hanover have plus 28, they have plus 29. But anyways, I mean, it's it's sort of like, it's a strange one, this one. I mean, but how is this going to be solved then? Yeah, with some
2: midweek games, I think, uh, which, as you might know, in Germany, we call it Englische Woche, so English week, because football teams in Germany were not used to play on Tuesday or Wednesday, and we only know that from England. So that's the reason why it's called Englische Woche. And uh, yeah, they do have some games to go. And of, of course, you might be not aware of that, but Phoenix Lübeck is the really, really small club in that town and the big VFB Lübeck at the moment plays in Dritte Liga. So there might be a change of league between these two clubs, which would be a really, really massive thing. Similar to Hamburg when St. Pauli goes up and HSV doesn't, so...
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think Phoenix Lübeck has ever played above the other Lübeck side in the division system, have they? I don't think so, no. They've never been higher up than 5 L. So, I mean, for them, that would be really massive. But leaving Lübeck and talking about chickening out... KFC earning? what's going on there? Let me just guess, they are in financial trouble. Yes, they are. That That is obvious. You know, they are a bit like uh, your junkie friend from your childhood who always comes to you to ask for just another, like, 100 euros because he will pay you back this time, definitely, for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, this time around, the DA, the District Attorney of Kreerfeld, has gotten involved. After, you know, the last insolvency case. And, well, they've actually brought charges on four points. What are those points?
2: And you ask me to, to ask that? I need oh, to go. Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> Just.
1: F- fraud? Is it, is it fraud? It's always fraud. It has to be fraud. There's fraudulence over their Russian donor. Because they were financed by Mikhail Ponomarev. And then he basically ran them into the ground. This would be their fifth filing for bankruptcy, by the way. So I'm guessing he was the first four or the first three bankruptcies he was like involved in. And yeah, that's why they had no license to play and got relegated to the Oberliga. And yeah, so his the district attorney has um Charges or an investigation. And so now Ponomarev's assets were f- temporarily frozen, and there has been like searches into the house in there, wherever it was. And it's at the allegations of delaying insolvency, withholding employee remunerations, basically when they get laid off in the money that are owed, subsidy fraud, and breach of trust. So those are the charges against them over the situation but even now that he's not a part of Erdogan yeah and they've made a public record of their recent finances and there's still half a million euros missing so that's the risk of this fifth bankruptcy and yeah that is what's going on at Erdogan again <laughs> Must be Tuesday.
2: Yeah, I I think we need to mention at least once the very, very nice German word Insolvenzverschleppung, (laughs) uh, which means uh, to delay the uh, insolvency. So this is one of the
0: points. This is one of the points, yes. But, I mean, it's just sort of like... I mean, Ponarov, he has sort of, like, invested into loads and loads of sports teams and... Ruined all of them? He ruined all of them. I mean, he he's <laughs> invested into German ice hockey, he's invested into German football, he's invested into English belt. I mean, he's been around with his cash and... I mean, really, he was sort of, like, thought to be the saviour of this club. He brought them from the fifth tier to the Little Liga. And, you know, they talked about getting back to the Bundesliga 2, establishing themselves there on a long-term basis. Maybe even playing their matches in Duisburg, because, you know, the stadium they had was too small. And now, look, they are really in in a tough spot. And right now, they need €500,000 to finish out the season without, uh, you know, getting into insolvency. And right now, they um, are still lacking roughly €350,000 which is not a good place to be in if you are in the fifth tier because in the fifth tier 350,000 euros is basically an annual budget for a lot of sides
2: and i think we discussed at least this these 500,000 euro in our last episode as well we did yes and, and at that moment i think they had 134 or something and now they do have 165 so the gap is just too big for them so i really don't think they can manage that i said that about msv duisburg and on the sporting level but i'm really sure on this for kfc i
0: mean what they basically need is somebody local somebody with a big heart for the club who has a past there who has you know cash lying around coming in somebody like uh, i don't know freedom funkel who coached them <laughs> in the 90s who i'm sure has more than three hundred fifty thousand euros saved up somewhere to come in and, you know, say, you know what? Blast from the past. Love you guys. Here's the cash you need. And, you know, please make things work more smoothly in the future. But didn't happen. Same didn't happen with Wattenscheid, who are playing in the same division. I mean, there was sort of rumours about Lee Rosane or his father coming in to the rescue when they were struggling for a license. Didn't happen either. So, um... Yeah. Things look dire, but... On the positive side, insolvency in this division doesn't mean that you get relegated, right?
2: Yeah, I think they just got a deduction of nine points. They are in third place at the moment, so it won't harm them. But yeah, it's of course nothing that will build up trust with potential partners for the future.
0: All right. Well, we'll follow that story and uh, we'll see if Mike is going to be wrong about another gap being closed or not being closed. Anyways, this is it for another edition of Talking Foosball, the Outstick Edition. Guys, great to be back as a trio. Jasmine, tell our listeners where they can, you know, find you to, to, you know, find out how your move is coming along and, I don't know, see pictures of nice pastries.
1: Um, You can follow me, underscore Jasmine Hahn on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I don't know and Instagram I believe it's the same and yeah I will be very very all the stuff all the complaints about moving and flights yeah you can follow me there
0: yep and the puffy pastries yeah. right
1: no more pastries for me I'm too sick mm.
0: <laughs> well maybe we should you know um I don't know do a ground topping tour of Copenhagen in the fall <laughs> <laughs> Yes, let's do that. And Mike, I I know that you do like Copenhagen as well. I know you've been there quite a few times. uh, But tell our listeners where they can find your work and where they cannot find you on social media. Because basically what you're telling them is where not to find you of late
2: yeah first of all I go to Copenhagen in two weeks time to complete the first Yay! yeah to to complete the first Danish league I need to visit Udovre the club of Simon Makkinok, and wow, uh, cool. So I'll be there on a Friday in two weeks from now mm. and I created a Snapchat account yesterday what? but I only, <laughs> I only follow my son because uh, he'll be for a year abroad so that's the only reason don't follow me there <laughs> and you better follow the It's <laughs> t- about to
1: say Snapchat. <laughs> just, you- I haven't heard that in English.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so just follow the Milan Tone and you best do that on Blue Sky <laughs> and uh, or the block itself on Milan tony
0: Right. When his son gets TikTok, he probably gets a TikTok account too, but he's going to no say, no way. Hey, I have a TikTok <laughs> account, but don't follow me there. <laughs> I won't <laughs> record any videos about St. Pauli there. But anyways, you can follow me, Nick Bultagen, on X at Norm Musings. You can follow this podcast at Talking Foosball. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Talking Foosball, you can uh, make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes uh, or maybe even review if you've time to write one. This podcast is going to be back with its Bundesliga version next week. There will be plenty to talk about because Leverkusen has widened the gap So um, stay tuned for that. Until next week, it's goodbye for now.